What's up, guys? Welcome back to the MMA Meeting. Let's talk with Weasel Podcast, where we talk all things MMA. And a lot has happened in MMA. There's some crazy fights that just got announced. Luke Rockle gonna fight Jan Blachowicz. Kevin Lee's gonna fight RDA at welterweight. I love the move to welterweight for Kevin Lee. And Al Iaquinta is fighting Donald Cerrone, and that fight has a lot of title contention values, I guess you would say, right? Now, I'm just going to say who I favor in these fights because I know people are going to ask. Rockhold and Jan Blachowicz, people are probably going to be favoring Rockhold. And actually, let me look at the betting odds if they have them up. They probably won't have them, would they? It's too early. Yeah, they don't have them yet. But I have a feeling they're going to have Rockhold as the favorite. And if that's the case, Jan Blachowicz is the guy to put something on because that is a very competitive fight. That's a fight that is a lot more competitive than people think it is. Jan does everything very good by the book. And his jiu-jitsu is high level as well, and he's a big fighter too. Very patient, a lot better striking than Luke Rockhold's, I believe. And he has excellent takedown defense. So it's going to be tough for Rockhold in that fight. It really is. If Jan could get in close, which I think he can, he could tag Rockhold's chin a bit. Now, Rockhold going up to 205, I do suspect him having a better chin. But that chin has been blasted so many times at middleweight. The damage has already been taken in. So... Is it really going to hold up that much against a bigger fighter in Jan Blachowicz? It's going to be tough. And I have a very hard time saying that last name. I kind of do favor Jan to win that fight, to be honest. I think it'll be a close fight. Like I said, it is competitive. But I think Jan is going to win that by a decision because it's a three-round fight. It's going to be happening in UFC 239. And as for Kevin Lee versus RDA, that's a really good fight. I favor Kevin Lee right off the bat because of RDA's troubles against the wrestlers he's been fighting recently. Colby Covington and... Kamar Usman, I don't want to say set the blueprint because Khabib kind of set the blueprint, but at welterweight, those two guys were able to do the same thing that Kevin Lee is capable of, actually. Kevin Lee, excellent wrestler. He's going to be stronger than RDA, I believe, because he's a huge, huge 155-er, and he could fill himself up. He probably still has a bit to cut to 170, and he could just go to town with the wrestling on RDA, pressure him constantly. That is a competitive fight because RDA does have the much, much better striking, and he has pretty good cardio for five rounds. And he's an extremely high-level BJJ artist. But I think Kevin Lee's wrestling will give him the nod in that one. And then the hardest one to say is Ally Quinta versus Donald Cerrone. That fight can go either way. I see a lot of people going back and forth with that one. I see people saying, Ali Quinta's boxing's too good. He's too tough. He's too powerful in there. He can fight on the inside. And Cerrone has bad boxing defense. It has gotten a lot better, though. You have to admit. It isn't what it used to be when he fought Nate Diaz, where he was pretty much a bobblehead out there. You know, just getting tagged over and over again. And he just didn't get his head out of the way. He's at least moving his head a lot more these days. And he does have a wrestling game that he can go to. I don't suspect him taking down Iaquinta, but mixing up the game so the boxing gets disrupted is the best thing for Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone does have much better kicks, and I think Iaquinta is going to be in range for a lot of those head kicks because Iaquinta doesn't really move too much. If he's able to pressure you and get you close to the cage, that is where he's a problem, where he starts scaling the cage. He is excellent at cutting the cage. But getting it to that point, sometimes he has a tough time. I go back and forth on this as well, but I'm going to favor Donald Cerrone right now. I think he does have a very good jab that can keep Iaquinta at bay. He has a wrestling game. He is a better BJJ artist, and he has much better kicks too. He's much longer too. It's going to be a close fight. That's an excellent fight. I love it. And looking back at that Anthony Pettis and Steven Thompson fight. Now before that fight, I said if Pettis is able to win this, we have to revise our thoughts on what is a successful weight cut. And also revise the theory of size and how it affects fights. So someone who has a size advantage isn't really as significant as people thought recently. 
MMA evolves every so often. I believe this is going to be a period of a massive change to weight cuts. Fighters understanding their optimal healthy weight and size significance and where it actually matters. Size is much more of a factor when it comes to wrestling and grappling because of the constant weight balancing of the fighters in every position. Size is much less significant in striking where fights actually occur more in MMA. The incredible amount of recent smaller fighters defeating bigger fighters are actually being more evident in the striking, right? They're winning their fights against the bigger fighters because of their striking. You can look down the list from RDA beating Robbie Lawler to Cerrone's early run at welterweight to Mazadal KOing Till and also defeating other welterweights in the striking as well. Pettis KOing Thompson, Cejudo dropping TJ, John Lineker KOing all of his opponents at 135, DC KOing Stipe and being undefeated at heavyweight, Kelvin Gaslam moves up, who wasn't a knockout artist at 170 pounds, but now is one of the most dangerous knockout artists at 185. John Lineker, like I said before, wasn't knocking out anyone at 125, but he is the hardest puncher at 135, right? So they're at their optimal weight, they're not dehydrated, they have all of their power, but there's other things that are included in that. Not only do they have their power and they have their chin, but these fighters are using their speed and positioning to score victories. Speed kills, right? Speed always kills. And the faster fighters usually do have better opportunities to establish better positioning for their strikes. Just like Pettis connecting with the punch, not as powerful as Woodley's, not nearly as powerful as Woodley's, but being enough to KO Wonderboy, which is something Woodley was not able to do for 10 rounds after connecting how many times in those two fights. This shows that power is not what's important, but timing that shot, combining speed and just the right position to catch the opponent off guard and off position is what rewards knockouts, right? So the punches you don't see coming are the ones that reward knockouts over just sheer power. And how do you catch someone unexpected? You have to be pretty quick a lot of the times, and you have to have the position where they're not able to see it. And like I said before, faster fighters have this better than bigger fighters. This gives smaller fighters an edge in striking when they're moving up. But size affecting wrestling and grappling is significant. It always has been. Even looking at the evidence of John Lineker, where he's able to KO 135ers, when he fought TJ Dillashaw, he was greatly out-wrestled in that fight. Kelvin Gass on 185, he was able to get out-wrestled easily by Chris Weidman. And I believe Jacques also got some good takedowns on him too. But against Weidman, he was able to even drop Weidman with one punch. But the wrestling is all that it took for Weidman to change the tides of that fight. RDA got ragdolled by top wrestlers and Usman and Covington, and so on and so forth. Pettis showed to really have some power in his hands, and he's never known for that knockout power. Steven Thompson has knocked out people with his hands before. I mean, he knocked out Robert Whittaker, even though, again, Whittaker cut down the 170, and he said he is never making that weight ever again. He's way too big now, and look how good he's doing at 85. So Pettis moved up to 170, beat Wonderboy. Wonderboy is the guy that beat the now 185-pound champion. So it's crazy, man. At the end of the day, what I believe now is fighting at your optimal healthy weight is much better to go. Not trying to cut down as much as possible to have the biggest size advantage because size isn't everything and it's showing nowadays. I think if most of the fighters in the UFC went up a weight class, they'll find more success. Or, well that wouldn't make sense because they'll probably be fighting the same fighters but better. Everybody's going to be better. But that's the thing, everybody's going to be better. But if each fighter, so take one fighter case by case, went up a division that they were cutting a lot of weight to go to their current weight class, I think they're going to find much more success for the most part. Maybe grapplers, maybe wrestlers, not as much because how much size affects their style. So maybe if wrestlers go down a little bit more and not completely compromise themselves, 
they probably have the most success moving down weight classes like that. But strikers or well-rounded fighters or even some BJJ fighters, if they moved up, I think they'll find a lot more success. And I hope that's going to be the trend. Now, Kevin Lee moving up. A lot of fighters are moving up weight classes. I hope this is where it's going to go to. MMA's fun, man. It always changes. You always learn new stuff. And another thing we learned is that Conor McGregor retired, apparently, on Twitter. Now, I did make a video if you guys want to go check that out. It's my immediate thoughts on what happened. Um, I'm going to be honest, though. I mean, I was about to fall asleep. So, so I was looking through my phone, saw the news, and then I made the video about it. So maybe I wasn't able to think of all the things that probably forced them to retire. I know people were saying the shares. I didn't really think about the shares because I didn't think they were that important to him. I thought he was just making that argument as an ultimatum to take a co-main event fight, right? I don't think he just wants it in general. But then again, he was saying a long time ago he deserves shares. But I don't think the UFC would ever give him that. And maybe because they don't give him it, he's just going to retire or threaten retirement. On one hand, I don't think Conor cares to retire. I think if he's pushed toward that direction, he will just take the retirement and not care whatsoever. But on the other hand, what is retirement in MMA? I mean, you could just come back whenever you want. You still have your contract. So there's kind of a, a good and a bad with the UFC holding your contract. And that is if you come out of retirement, you get right back to work pretty much. You just have to uh, get into the whole USADA pool again. But look at Uriah Faber for an example. He retired. And now he wants to come back. He wants to fight TJ Dillashaw. He wants to move up to 145. Yeah, what is retirement? So Connor announcing his retirement is a little bit different than other fighters because he's so set outside of the cage and he has something else going on. He has something else to focus on. That's his whiskey business. But I hope he's making all the money outside the cage so he doesn't have to depend on fighting. But when Connor was at 145, him depending on the money, him striving and being hungry to earn something out of this sport, that is the Connor that we loved, right? That is the Connor that we all were a fan of. I mean, there were some doubters, of course, but that is the Connor that everybody gravitated towards in the first place. I mean, he was such a breath of fresh air those days. He was always fighting, always fighting opponents, always calling out people, always staying relevant. And you could just see the desire and the hunger whenever he was in interviews, whenever he fought in press conferences and weigh-ins, everything he did. He seemed obsessed with the sport. And I always think about Connor those days when his girlfriend was saying that she would find him in the middle of the dark in their house. Him just shadow boxing and he's probably doing it for hours. They don't even know. You know, that is obsession. Him calling John Kavanaugh in the middle of the night. Talking about animal movements and stuff. And Kavanaugh's like, just go to sleep, Connor. Why are you up right now? And this guy's just obsessed. Doesn't seem obsessed. He, he seems far gone from obsessed. He just seems like, okay, I just... You know, I'm going to stay a little bit relevant in the sport. But now he decides to retire. So I've seen the lack of dedication, the lack of motivation for a while now. Ever since he took the Floyd Mayweather fight, I 100% knew that he was going to lose motivation a little bit after that. Because the reasonings of taking the Floyd Mayweather fight is, of course, the money. And when that is going to be your motivation, if that's your goal, your goal is going to be met after that fight. So logically, your motivation is going to dwindle afterward. You're going to go from the highest peak in combat sports, fighting Floyd Mayweather for $100 million, one of the biggest fights of all time, to going back to the UFC and fighting for, what, half of that, maybe even less? Of course, the motivation for Conor is going to dwindle. It's going to completely drop. But that is only because his goal became money. Now, the money goal was probably only established that high because he already got the two belts but Connor never seemed to be the fighter that wanted to defend his belt or stay consistent and stay relevant for a very long time as a champion he always strived for the next big thing right when a lot of other fighters want to be known as the greatest champion the greatest fighter 
And the way to do that is by defending your belt. Connor has yet to ever defend any belt he's ever won in any competition, in any organization in MMA. You can look back at Cage Warriors, never defended either of his belts. UFC, never defended either of his belts. And I believe he should start setting new goals, right? If he wants to keep motivated. But I don't know, man. Connor's always been an inspiration to me. Right, I said in my video about the kind of retirement that him competing and being successful in the sport is actually what drove me to pursue the sport as well. I mean, when he came into the UFC in 2014 or 2013, I was like, what, 17, 18 years old. I didn't really think about MMA at all. Like, I never thought about ever trying to compete or even train at a gym for the sport. But once I saw his style, I'm like, who is this guy? You know, when he fought Marcus Burbage, it was a little bit different. But then when he fought Max Holloway... And when he fought Diego Brandao, I noticed a lot of similarities with my own. With what I used to do in Taekwondo and what I used to do in boxing. And when I used to mess around and stuff, I used to go to some gyms, some MMA gyms sometimes, and mess around with stuff. And, and I had a very similar style to Conor McGregor. And when I saw him being very successful with it, it unexpectedly and completely opened my eyes. And it gave me passion to actually pursue this, right? So I can kind of say, if Conor actually never did what he did, if he never came to the UFC and became successful, I don't even know if I would have made this YouTube channel. Because even though I was a big time fan, it wasn't what I am today, right? Or even two years ago when I started this channel. I became a lot more dissolved in the sport, right? I was completely absorbed to it. And that is because I started training. I started learning things. I started grappling. I started wrestling. And I started putting things all together. It was making so much sense to me. Then I was looking at fights and I was breaking down mentally, you know, just in my head. On my off time when I wasn't in college or something, I would watch fights and I would just analyze it. Right, I didn't mean to analyze it for anything. I would just naturally analyze it, and that's what made me start this in the first place. So it's crazy, man. Connor had a lot of effect on a lot of people's lives when it came to the sport. A lot of people's interest in the sport. A lot of people became fans. A lot of journalists as well. I'm pretty sure a lot of other MMA YouTube channels you guys watch started because of something with Conor McGregor. Maybe his fights with Nate Diaz. I know a lot of channels started in 2016, and that is when Conor had those fights with Nate Diaz and Eddie Alvarez, right? It was a big year for Conor McGregor. Some of them started in 2017 after the Eddie Alvarez fight, you know? I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Conor is just a huge impact to MMA, a huge impact to combat sports in general. And he changed the game, some for the worse, in my opinion, some for the worse, and some definitely for the better. Conor McGregor's retirement is pretty shocking. It came out of nowhere because he came off the Jimmy Fallon show. I don't really watch Jimmy Fallon or any late night show, but he started talking about fights he wanted to take on and... He said he could even retire and have no problem with it. So I'm retiring right after that. It's pretty shocking. And what else has been happening? TJ Dillashaw, of course, getting caught. I made a video about that. The people that get weeded out from PED usage. You never know these days, man. You never know who's taking stuff. And speaking of Conor McGregor, did you guys see this whole thing where he's like talking to his fans, I think they are, or just a crowd? He's like standing on a table or whatever. Talk about everything. Nate Diaz, Jose Aldo, Khabib everything he said some weird stuff out there i don't know if he was drunk i don't know if he was just really amped up for some reason but some things he was saying were pretty weird like a rematch with habib is warranted because there was dispute in the fight what does that mean dispute the only disputes were conor mcgregor cheating in the fight over and over and over and over and over again and what he said to Habib, it's only business or whatever. The fight itself, Habib thrashed every part of that fight. He smashed and bashed Connor almost the entire fight. So 
No, the outcome is not disputed at all. Everybody knew Habib beat him fair and square on his part. I mean, he was actually against the odds because Herdine never intervened from the grabbing the cage, kneeing from the bottom, grabbing the shorts, all the things that Connor did, grabbing the gloves. He was kind of at a disadvantage with all that against Connor and even the ref, and he still dominated the fight. So no, there's no dispute about the actual contest. The only dispute about the night and not the fight was the brawl afterwards. And that has nothing to do with the actual fight. That has nothing to do with the competitiveness of these two fighters competing against each other. But when he says something like, it's easy to do this once, it's very easy for someone to be given something and do it just one time. You put your absolute all into it. But to do it time after time and year after year... That's when the motivation kind of dips and that's when the dedication kind of lacks and that's when people creep up. That's what I feel happened here. I didn't give him the respect. I marched forward. I didn't give a shit. I got caught with an overhand. If I was switched on, I would not get caught with that overhand in any form of combat. I'm very confident, very eager, very in shape and let's keep it going. I I think he means getting into big fights over and over and over again because I don't see anything else he's alluding to here. Because Connor wasn't established completely. He never defended a belt and that's the most important thing that is more important than getting double belts triple belts that's way more important defending your belt consistently constantly against the best fighters in the world that's what's hard that is what fighters should be striving for once you clean out a division that's when you're an all-time great fighter not getting belts in different divisions because anybody can beat anybody at any given time and if you do it twice or three times i mean gsp kind of threw it on the table there that defending the belt constantly like that it's much harder than being the champion in two different divisions and connor never did that so there is that thing he should have been striving for right then he probably wouldn't have felt his motivation and dedication drop and hearing him say that he was lacking dedication for this fight i mean this is his biggest fight in mma ever i mean this is his most heated fight this is his most personal fight that he's ever had and he's fighting a fighter who has never lost in his entire career how could you not be motivated for that The only thing that I can see him not getting motivated for that is because the money is less than his last bout, and that was against Floyd Mayweather. And some of the things he was saying after that, like, imagine almost dropping someone because he almost got me, but he didn't drop me. I got back to my feet, threw shots, threw a knee, and then he shot for a takedown. Imagine almost dropping someone with a picture-perfect shot, a picture-perfect punch, and then shooting for the legs. You almost got the fight done, and you shoot for the legs, stand up, and fight. This is a little bit like you throw your head back kind of thing, you know? Like, well, first of all, he did drop you. If you go by the rules on what counts as a knockdown, if your hand touches the canvas, your knee touches the canvas, that's a drop. That's a knockdown. He knocked you down. It was a flash knockdown, but it was a knockdown. And then saying, why don't you stand up and fight? I don't like that kind of mentality, man. Connor never had that kind of mentality ever before. And this just seems to be true that Connor's mentality has, com- has changed about the sport. That hungry fighter that he was before in the featherweight division, rising the ranks and just loving the game and learning as much as he can never going around doing other things that guy doesn't seem to be around anymore i mean the fact that he says something like this this is like something ignorant old-time boxers would say about mma this kind of mindset stand up a fight that mentality is dying out completely because just standing up is not the only way to fight 1993 pretty much destroyed that theory Oh wow, looking at John Jones' Twitter, he's actually calling out Stephen Miocic, or he's teasing that fight is happening for July. That is really interesting. Man, that came out of left field, actually, because, well, everybody thought he was going to be fighting Tiago Santos. He says he wants to be 50-0 in MMA, and I think he should take the Tiago Santos fight first, because he does kind of deserve the title shot, but he's going up a division and not fighting for the belt? Or is he fighting for the interim belt? Does this have somewhat to tie in with Conor McGregor being a co-main event? Because Dana White said that 
how can you put Conor McGregor as a main event over a heavyweight title fight? And Jones saying that his fight with Stipe would make most sense for July. Shout out to Bob S at Bobzy, B-O-B-B-Z-Z-Y-Y. He's actually the first one to mention that and got me thinking as well because that makes a lot of sense and is very logical. So maybe John Jones versus Stipe is actually in the works here for the interim belt. Or is it Daniel Cormier going to be fighting Brock Lesnar or something? I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I love the matchup. I love the stylistic collision of those two. I do think Jones will win the fight. I think he has too many weapons. He's going to be longer. He's going to have the kicks. He's going to have the takedowns. He's more athletic. He's better with movement. He's faster. May not have more power, but he's moving up a division. And what is the trend that we're seeing? If this is Stipe's fight... He's going to have to go into this fight knowing that Jones is going to have a lot more power than he did at light heavyweight. So it's going to be interesting with Jones and how he's going to be able to deliver shots on Stipe and how the impact is going to be. But I think Stipe just has the boxing. Yes, Jones boxing isn't the greatest even against Anthony Smith, even against Gustafson in the second fight. He had a lot of holes, a lot of openings whenever he went on the attack. And even when he was defending. And who better to make John Jones pay in those exchanges than Stipe Miocic, right? Well... Francis Ngannou would disagree, but Stipe doesn't move like those guys do. He's not as fast as those guys either. He's a little bit more obvious with some of his attacks, but he has great takedown defense. That's the only thing. But how good is his takedown defense in the clinch, and how good is he in the clinch? Daniel Cormier did some damage to Stipe in the clinch, and I think Jones is going to land some elbows, going to land some knees, as well as trying to trip Stipe. Jones may have the best clinch work in the UFC period. Wow, I love the fight. I love the fight, but what comes afterward is going to be a little bit wonky. Because where's Thiago Santos going to go? He's going to have to take another fight. But against who? Because Anthony Smith is going to be fighting Gustafson. And by the rankings, that looks like a number one contender fight. But they both just lost to Jones. So maybe the winner of that fights Thiago Santos. Or Santos goes and fights Dominic Reyes. The winner gets a total shot. Actually, that makes a ton of sense to do. Maybe on the same card or something. Just to line that up with Jones's fight. But I just don't like how champions keep going up divisions nowadays. It's ruining the divisions they're coming from right? This one, maybe not so much because of the lack of contendership in the division, but I don't like it, man, because if he goes and beats Stipe, he's going to have to fight Daniel Cormier next, most likely, unless DC's going to be out until the end of the year or something. Or if DC's fighting Brock Lesnar, how weird would that be? Brock Lesnar versus DC and Jones is fighting Stipe for the interim belt. That'd be a very weird thing. And I think the same thing happened in the middleweight division when Whitaker was fighting for the interim belt when Bisping was fighting GSP. It's a weird place to be. And it just shows that titles mean nothing in this sport. And I would think that we would try to legitimize the titles a lot more than what they are now. Because right now, nobody really cares anymore about the belts. Except for the money that they bring. But with the new pay-per-view model, pay-per-view points are probably not going to be as present or as significant anymore. So title fights as main events for pay-per-view cards aren't going to be that crazy either, right? Fighters are not going to be caring anymore about the belts. Because the amount of casual fans are going to be watching pay-per-views are going to be less than ever. I don't think it's that good of a deal to make. I don't think putting it on ESPN Plus, yes, they're trying to drive that platform. But I think casual fans just want to see fights. They don't want to go through all the headaches and subscribing to this and paying for this in order to pay for this. I mean, there's too many paywalls for a casual fan who just wants to see a big-time fight. For hardcore fans, of course, they're going to come and watch the fights. But you're still going to dwindle some of the hardcore fans on watching these pay-per-views as well. Maybe that has something to tie with Conor McGregor retiring as well or wanting shares in the organization because... He's not going to be getting pay-per-view points like he used to. And a big chunk of his money was coming from pay-per-view points. Wow, man. Everything's changing now that I think about it. Everything's getting a little bit weird. But yeah, love the Jones and Stipe fight. 
Let's do Tiago Santos versus Dominic Reyes. I don't care about the Cormier versus Lesnar fight really at all, but if you're a fan of DC and you just want to see him make money rather than seeing him in a very competitive fight, I guess that's a good fight to see. Wait. So, wait, Jones is now fighting Stipe, so why did he put that on his... Why did he tweet that out? It turns out John Jones is going to be fighting Tiago Santos on UFC 239 in July, on July 6th. Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm is going to be the co-main event. Also, Tyron Woodley versus Robbie Lawler 2 is going to be happening. That's going to happen in June. This is strange. So many fights at once. Hold on. Okay, Tiago Santos and John Jones makes sense. That's the fight that has to happen for the light heavyweight division to go on. Now, I do favor Jones, of course. He has so many weapons. Tiago Santos is a little bit too wild out there. Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm. I don't really like this fight. I understand Holly Holm is more of a draw than anybody else, but this fight doesn't make sense because... Holly Holm has not won in the bantamweight division since she beat Beshkoea. Her last win was on June 17, 2017, and she's 3-4. Get this, she's 3-4 in her last 7 fights, and she has gotten 3 title fights. So that means in her last 7 fights, every time she won, she got a title shot. Kind of crazy. And now she beat Megan Anderson, and she's getting her 4th title fight. I think her versus Aspen Ladd was the perfect fight. I think the winner of that should get a title shot and have Caitlin Vieira fight Amanda Nunes because Caitlin Vieira is undefeated. She's coming off a win against Kat Zangano. And before that, she beat Sarah McMahon. And before that, she beat Ashley Evans-Smith. Whereas Holly Holm, her last fight was a win over Megan Anderson. And before that, she lost. And before that, she beat Bechkoya. Bechkoya doesn't compare to the people that Caitlin Vieira has been. And before that for Holly Holm, she lost to Jermaine Durandamy, Valentina Shevchenko, and Misha Tate. Vieira 100% deserves a title shot, but they're going with Holly Holm because she can probably sell more, you know. And we know when they put Manon Nunes against Raquel Pennington, it was a very low drawing pay-per-view, so I think that's the motive behind this, but it makes no sense. I don't like it. And even stylistically, I think Nunes is going to dominate. Maybe the striking is going to be a little bit hard for Nunes to get in, but as soon as it gets in the clinch, Nunes is dominating. She's going to take down home, control or maybe submit her. I mean, we're talking about a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a higher level grappler than Misha Tate is. And Misha Tate had no problem getting Holly Holm's back. I think it's a pretty bad fight for Holly Holm. And then the Tyron Woodley versus Robbie Lawler 2 matchup. I love this fight. It's a great rematch. I mean, Lawler can fix his mistakes from last time. He made a big mistake moving backwards the way he was. But the big thing about this is, where does this put the rest of the division? So, Anthony Pettis has a win. He could fight, like, Santiago Ponzinibbio or something. I think it'd be a great fight. But Pettis is below Stephen Thompson in the rankings. He's number 8. Thompson's number 7. Makes no sense. Ponzinibbio versus Pettis makes a lot of sense. Or Ponzinibbio versus the RDA versus Kevin Lee winner. So, there's that. Hori Mazadal wants to fight someone above him. I don't know who that would be. I wanted the fight between him and Tyron Woodley. That made so much sense to make. Because the winner gets a title shot. And even with this Robbie Lawler versus Tom Woodley fight, the winner might still get a title shot. But there's so many guys coming up a different path to that title shot. It's not one path anymore that everybody's on. Everybody's on their own path. And they're creeping up to Kamaru Usman at the same time. So like, Woodley needs one more win, right? And he should get a title shot, a good win. Robbie Lawler, if he goes out and beats a number one contender, now he gets a title shot. Hori Mazadal is coming off a win over Darren Till. And if he gets another win, he should get a title shot. And if Ben Askren was able to get like a high-ranked opponent, I think Ben Askren is a little bit too early, even if he gets another win. And the main reason is because he doesn't have anybody higher than him to fight besides Hori Mazadal. 
and even beating Mazadal doesn't really warrant a title shot. It's such a weird place for the welterweight division. It really is. What I wanted to see was Tom Worley versus Jorge Mazadal, Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren makes a lot of sense, or Robbie Lawler versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler, or Ben Askren versus Damian Maya is actually the fight I wanted to see. Those were the main fights I wanted to see next. Because I think it would have made a lot more sense in the order of who gets a title shot. Very strange. But one thing is certain. This is the greatest era for the welterweight division's history. I mean, you cannot look back at an era and say it was better than today's. Not one. You got Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, Darren Till still there, Hori Masvidal, Anthony Pettis is now in the mix, Wonderboy, Ben Askren, Robbie Lawler's still there, RDA, now Kevin Lee's moved up, Leon Edwards, Santiago Ponzinibbio. There has never been so many fighters in the top 10 that have been this strong in the welterweight division. It's crazy. It's an amazing time to watch the welterweight division. And also, did you guys see the Nam Fan versus that Kung Fu Guy video? Nam Fan, if you guys don't know, was a UFC fighter. He was on the Ultimate Fighter as well. He's a veteran in the game. He's been fighting forever. I mean, there's videos of him fighting in like backstage movie stages a long time ago, you know? Well, there's a video of him actually fighting a Vietnamese Kung Fu guy, and it's a very interesting video to watch. I actually do want to make a breakdown of that video. I'm going to see if I'm going to be able to get that out, but the Kung Fu guy is much bigger than Nam Fan. Nam Fan, I believe, is a featherweight, right? Fights at 145, and this guy probably is somewhere in the 190s, 200s maybe. Um, And you can see Nam Fan has a little bit of trouble in the early first round, but I think he's just trying to gas out his opponent, you know? Just land him, blow his wad, and then just take him out in the second round. That's exactly what happened. Caught him with a good jab as he stepped to his left and eventually caught him with the right overhand. Now, when you go and watch the video and you see the Kung Fu guy fall the first time, I think that fight should have been stopped because I think he challenged Nam Fan and he called the Muay Thai style not effective or whatever. But the guy's pretty much out of it. I mean, he was so out of it. Nam Fan just came in there and just do another right overhand. The guy was out cold. But very, very interesting video. I really recommend you guys watching that fight. Now, it takes a while until the fight happens in the video. Video I watch is not on Nam Fan's YouTube channel. It's actually on another YouTube channel or something. And the fight happens like toward the end of the video. So if you guys want to skip all the people coming in to witness the fight and just go straight to the fight, it's around like the 19 minute, 18 minute mark or something of the video. Really, really interesting video to watch. But let's go to the questions. I know there's a lot of questions. All right, we're going to start with Brian Historia on YouTube. How do some fighters like Holloway, Ferguson, Diaz Brothers, etc. seem to have unlimited gas tank? Is it their training? How do you think they train? Well, naturally, they are more slow twitch. Ferguson maybe less than the others. But yeah, training, of course, is going to help that. Them being more slow twitch, it gives them a kind of a head start. And they can adapt into that kind of rhythm with long distance running, all that sort of stuff. Diaz Brothers, they run like marathons and stuff. Nick Diaz swims in the ocean all the time. And so their cardio is pretty insane, the Diaz Brothers. Ferguson, I hear, trains like five hours a day or something. Like he just doesn't stop training all the time. And that's some good cardio work. He does a lot of road work. And it seems like he's obsessed with coming up with new ways of working out. And that just keeps him busy with it. So Holloway is just another more slow twitch. Which fighter doesn't really have that knockout power. And I don't know anything about his training. I never heard anything about it. But with these fighters, I think they are doing a lot of road work and probably a lot of rounds in the gym, focusing on what can build their fighting cardio instead of other stuff. So maybe a lot of pad work, maybe long rounds, just consistently always, always training. I mean, Ferguson, even on his off time, you see him hitting like the Wing Chun dummy and stuff, you know? That stuff's kind of crazy. And when you think about Holloway and Ferguson, they're also cutting a lot of weight for their weight classes. And they still have that kind of cardio. So that's kind of crazy. So I do think it is with their training and how many rounds and the time they put in each day. 
as well as being more slow twitch fighters. Jordan O'Connor, what do you think about Darren Till's future, potential champion or eventual gatekeeper contender? Also, how do you think he does against the top 10 middleweights at the moment? Thanks for so much content recently. Always a pleasure watching your videos. Keep it up. Thank you so much, man. Um, Darren Till's future, I can already see it. I mean, people seem to be knocking on him now. They're doubting his skills and all that stuff. They're saying he's a hype job. He may be at the moment, right? But he's only 26 years old. You know, he still has a long time in the sport. Getting dropped by Tyron Woodley, then knocked unconscious badly from Jorge Masvidal is not a good thing. So he has to learn from that. He has to change some stuff. He has to start developing things into his muscle memory in terms of striking defense because he cannot have that kind of stuff happen to him ever again. So technical fixes in the gym are going to have to be made. Maybe some alterations in his style would do him good. But yeah, I think he could be pretty good. I have a feeling he's probably not going to be the champion, but I do see him fighting for the belt again. But I think that's as far as he goes and how's he do against the top 10 middleweights probably not that good and that's another thing for his future middleweight forget welterweight it's done stop killing yourself stop deteriorating your chin you do not want to shorten your career and i understand the bigger fighter is up in middleweight but you can really fill yourself up you're only 26 years old you're gonna get bigger and weight cutting is gonna be harder in the future so might as well adapt to it now and not too late okay against brad tavares i think he beats tavares he's gonna have a hard time with tavares coming in on him and constantly going for takedowns and stuff but i think he probably tkls him late in the fight jared cannonier i think till win that i think he's a bit too fast and jared cannonier has pretty much the same attacks over and over again he goes for i don't think he'll catch till like that i think he needs something to catch him unexpected but he doesn't have that kind of weapon Derek brunson that would be a tough fight Brunson has a much longer reach, way better wrestling, going to be stronger, I would say. Man, it's a tough fight for Till. I'm going to go with Till because Brunson also leaves his chin up in the air, and Till is a much more precise striker with that left hand of his. Man, both their chins are up in the air, though. Whoever lands first pretty much wins. Um, but I'll go with Till being the faster and more precise striker. Paulo Costa, I got to go with Costa. He hits Till one time, I think it's over. He has much better boxing. His pressure will give Till a lot of problems. And Costa's not afraid to exchange, and his kicks are devastating. His body work is going to give Till some problems, too. I think Costa is just going to be a little bit too marauding in there. Chris Weidman, I'm going to go with Chris Weidman. I think his wrestling will be the difference here. His long range can also tag the chin of Till a couple times. Israel Adesanya, I got to go with Adesanya, man. Till just rushes straight forward sometimes. He has the same weapon that he goes for every single time, and that's never going to catch Adesanya. Adesanya would pick him apart. And it's crazy because a lot of people wanted to see this fight in the future, but I think Adesanya just dominates. Kelvin Gastelum, that's a close fight. I like this one. Oh, that can go either way, man. Gastelum definitely has a chin to take Till shots. Till will probably not take Kelvin Gastelum shots. And Kelvin could do a very similar thing that Tyron Woodley did, and that is if Till comes in straight like he always does, Gaslam could catch him with that left overhand, and it could be a wrap. So I probably lean Gaslam because of that, and the fact that he could take Till shots. So if they go blow for blow, I think Gaslam would win that. Jacques is probably going to have a hard time on the feet early, but I think he'll eventually get the takedowns and submit Till. It'd be a tough fight, though, in the early rounds. Luke Rockhold, well, he's going up to 205, but saying how that fight would go, I think Till would knock out Rockhold. I think Rockle won't be able to take him to the ground, and he's just so defensively open. He always goes to that check right hook when he's leaning back, and Till has an open left hand down that center and can catch his chin every single time. You all Romero, Romero starches Till. Robert Whitaker, I gotta go with Whitaker. He's so much better defensively, he's just so much better of a striker. I think he's actually faster than Till as well. Then we go to Tyson Cunningham. How do you think Habib does against Usman at 170? That's a good fight. I have a feeling they probably won't fight each other because I think they're friends or something, right? 
Usman's definitely going to be the stronger fighter. He's definitely going to be bigger. I would say Khabib is the better grappler and wrestler, but I do see him getting taken down by Usman. Khabib is a better striker, but Usman has the attributes like the length, more power. I would actually say Khabib would beat him on the feet, and he does have submission threat on his back if he gets taken down. He also has very good judo against the wrestling of Usman. I probably would lean Khabib to win that fight by a decision or even a submission. Then we go to Bossy. Just keep calling me Bossy. It's fine, mate. Thank you so much, man. Weasel versus Artem. Try not to be humble. I did that before, and people probably took things out of context, but when I assess myself competing against anybody in the world, I'm never going to say I'm going to lose, right? No matter who it is. So I think it's kind of unfair to give a reasonable uh, analysis on that because I do have aspirations in the sport. I do have a deep passion to compete in it. So I'm not going to lower myself to say that I'm going to lose to this guy. I'm going to lose to this guy. I'm going to say a little bit more humble. Even though Artem probably he would beat me, let's just say, I think with the skills I have, with the athletic ability I have, and me being much bigger, I think probably in the next few years, I would surpass that. So so yeah, CM Punk versus Nunez. Um, Nunez starches CM Punk in any way she wants. Right hand, jab, left hook, right uppercut, kicks whatever she wants she will beat CM Punk maybe the size will give Nunez a little bit of a problem in the first minute or so with his unorthodox style but after Nunez starts picking up things she would just start bombing on him and Nunez can legit knock out guys pretty easily I think with that right hand of hers Ryan Hall versus Crone Gracie I love this fight I would say Crone Gracie I think he's a better jiu-jitsu artist and I think his style is more effective in MMA whereas Ryan Hall is a little bit more risky he can cash that submission but against a guy like Crone Gracie, man. I don't think he's going to be falling for stuff like that. So I would stick with Crone. It would be an excellent fight. That is absolutely the fight to make. TRT Vitor versus current top 10 light heavyweights. Against Jimmy Manuel, he starches Manua. Lil Latifi, it'd be a tough fight in that first round, man. But I think Vitor start picking him apart. He's a much better striker. Corey Anderson, I would say he starches Anderson as well. I think he TKOs Uzdemir after Uzdemir shows his toughness a little bit. He's way too slow. Jan Blachowicz, interesting fight, but I think Vitor would probably win a decision, to be honest. I think Jan is so good defensively, I don't think he'll get caught by anything crazy. But I think he'll lose on points because of that. Dominic Reyes, when I picture that fight, I just see Reyes getting flatlined out there. I see him getting caught by like a left overhand just falling. Anthony Smith, yeah, I gotta go with Vitor. Too much. Tiago Santos, that would be a wild fight. Oh man, anyone would fall. That is such a chaotic fight. Anything can happen. I think Vitor would eventually win that fight though. Vitor is extremely dangerous as a counterpuncher. And Santos leaves himself extremely open when he's moving forward. And he's usually moving forward. So I think his punch is a little bit too looping. And Vitor will eventually catch him with that straight left. Which will start the knockout. I don't think that will knock him out. But it would cause the knockout. Alexander Gustafsson, this one it gets hard. The problem about this one for Vitor is he never pressures. And if you're not going to pressure Gustafsson. And you don't have the takedown threat. You're in some trouble man. Because you're going to have a hard time closing that distance. So I'd probably stick with Gustafsson. I think he'll start picking at Vitor from a distance. And just eventually TKO him. Daniel Cormier. I got with Cormier his wrestling will be too strong but here's the thing he leans to his right what is one of the most powerful things TRT Vitor throws left high kicks how fast are they extremely fast to the point that middleweights can't even react to them Vitor can definitely catch him with a high kick or a left uppercut so that's what makes this a better fight for Vitor than the Gustafson fight but the safer bet would be to put something on Cormier John Jones I mean John Jones pretty much did beat TRT Vitor. It wasn't middleweight TRT Vitor with those kicks and stuff, and who is a much, much better striker, but Jones would be too much at the end of the day. It would be a very similar fight. Which fighter has the most punchable face? Face who would just knock out Colby, in my opinion. 
I don't have I don't have an answer, but okay. I think a lot of people will say Colby. I kind of like Colby though. I don't know I don't know what it is. I understand he's like trolling and stuff, and people don't like him. But even though he it's like a facade, it's like a character. People still get upset at it, even knowing that it's a character. It's pretty funny. If your life depended on choosing a fighter to survive one round with Francis and Gun, who would you choose? If my life depended on this. I'd probably say Cormier. Yeah, I'd probably say Cormier. I think he has the best style to beat Francis. But he said survive one round. So, yeah, I'd probably say Cormier. That'd be the best bet. I was thinking Shane Carwin, but I was just saying, man, well, someone's not surviving that first round if that fight would ever happen. That would be the most powerful fight of all time. There would not be a fight in any competition, in any combat sport, that would be that powerful. Everybody in the whole arena would be sitting at the edge of their seat just waiting until that big bomb lands. Which fighters have the best chance of knocking Habib out in the first round if they went full gungo out of only featherweights, lightweights, and welterweights? Okay. Who has the best chance of knocking him out? Probably Justin Gaethje. No, oh, you said welterweight? Uh... Throwing a welterweight changes it up. So maybe Tyron Woodley, Santiago Ponzinibbio's there, Robbie Lawler. So I would say those three are welterweight. But at lightweight, it would definitely be Justin Gaethje. I mean, he has excellent takedown defense. He's one of the hardest fighters to face in the first round. And against a grappler, that's even worse because of his takedown defense. So those four would definitely be at the top. You know what? I'd probably say Justin Gaethje or Robbie Lawler. Those two. It's hard to say which one. You've got the best podcast on YouTube and wish it came out more often. Keep it up, Weasel. Thank you so much, man. That means a lot. And I'm trying to get these out a little bit more often than I am right now. I know I was doing them every week, but man, it was taking a toll, to be honest. Joshua Wigan. Could John Jones beat CM Punk without using his hands? That's still unfair. <laughs> still unfair for CM Punk. Uh, let's do John Jones. He can only use a left kick. That's it. He cannot take him to the ground. He can't use his hands. No elbows, no knees, and no right kick. I think Jones still beats CM Punk. I still I still think he knocks him out in the first round. <laughs> Ali Simchi. If Dana White was fired tomorrow and you were given the job to take his place, what things would you do immediately? Oh, immediately? Um, Start paying the fighters probably 50-50 split if I had that power. You know, if I was in charge of everything, I would make it just like the just like the NBA and other professional sports. 50-50 split with the company and the athletes. 100% first thing I would do. Next, I'd probably uh, get rid of most pay-per-view. I'll have a, just a couple a year and the rest being on a streaming platform as well as you know, ESPN, whatever. I'll also take off the pay-per-views that would happen on ESPN+. Plus. I would just have how it used to be. But pay-per-views will only be something like Conor McGregor on the card, GSP, or John Jones, or Brock Lesnar. You know, these big mega cards. Or even, like, Habib or something. Those will be the only pay-per-views in the year. Or if some future star comes up, you know. That's another thing. If I had the power to allow fighters to have sponsors, that'd be another one. Go back to how it used to be, where fighters can wear their sponsors in the fight with their shorts and their banner and all that sort of stuff. Pretty much being very generous to the fighters. I understand it probably won't be the best for the business, you know, making money for the business, but that's the thing, I'm not really a businessman. And I would also make the 165-pound division and move up 170 to 175. With the stuff that I have power to do, those would be the things I would do. Now, if I had power over the commission too, I would start changing the weight-cutting stuff. So I would take something very similar to 1FC or one championship, whatever, where you can't weigh a certain limit, pretty much every fighter is going to go up a division. That's pretty much what's going to happen. And replays would be 100% used whenever you can. It can even change outcomes. 100%. Replays need to be used. Change 12 to 6 elbows. Eye pokes, groin kicks, raking of the eyes, you know, all the big illegal stuff. Those are going to be very much intolerated. First time doing anything, 
is automatic warning. It depends on the impact. If the impact's too much, you can take the point away. Second offense, it doesn't matter if you poke the guy in the eye and then grab his shorts. You grab his shorts after that, you're getting a point deducted. So forth and so forth. So I think it was Herb Dean's explanation that in the Conor Khabib fight that Conor wasn't getting deducted points and stuff because he was doing like different stuff or whatever it was. I forgot his explanation, but it was something like that, right? And that's why he didn't give points. If that was under my rules, if I were to make the rules, Conor would be losing points on points on points. I mean, he would have like a 10-4 round because of that. But here's the thing. I would also have DQs will only be up to the other fighter. As long as it doesn't cause severe harm or to the point where it greatly damages the other fighter where they can't make a coherent decision on the matter and then it goes to the referee. So things like grabbing the cage constantly, going for the eyes but not exactly keep poking, you know, a knee from the bottom like Connor threw at Habib where it doesn't greatly impact the other fighter. So in that case, let's say Connor was in a situation where he could be DQ'd because of all the stuff he was doing. It would be up to Habib if he wants to go that route. That's what I would do. If Habib wants a DQ win, he can have the DQ win. If he doesn't, I just keep taking points away from Connor. That's another rule I would make. So, person, person, can Usman be a long-term champion? Yeah, I think so. Um, For some reason, I think he's only going to be able to defend his belt like once until he loses it. I don't know. It's just the feeling I have. You always have that feeling with fighters, and that's what I'm getting from him. But I do think he can. I mean, he has great conditioning for the championship round. So, as a champion, his cardio is actually going to be more impactful. And his pace is also going to be more effective. He has some of the best wrestling in the business. He is very strong. He's very long. He's tough. He has a chin. And if he gets a hold of you, he doesn't really let go too much, you know. And he's very good in the clinch as well. Very good at dirty boxing, all that stuff. He just tends to be somewhat in the way of punches like you saw in the Emil Mech fight. I mean, that fight was alarming. So he definitely has all the tools to be a reigning longtime champion. But sometimes you have the feeling about champions where for some reason you don't see them lasting too long. You know, a lot of people had that with RDA. Some people had it with Eddie Alvarez. You know, that sort of thing. Ivan Mlakar. Would you still consider GSP as a GOAT if judges gave the decision to Johnny Hendricks and their fight? The only reason why I'm saying GSP is because I'm not including Jones. Jones taking the PEDs and stuff. And him getting caught like that, he cannot be in the discussion. In my list, you know, for me. So GSP is the GOAT because of that. And if he were to have lost to Johnny Hendricks, who would be above him? Still, like, who would be above him? Would it be Demetrius Johnson? No, I don't think so. So yeah, I would still say GSP is the GOAT. If we overlook Jones' PEDs and stuff, then Jones is the greatest of all time. Mr. Fatboy says what? Best ass-eating techniques? Dude, I've trained so much to where you would have to actually pay for those kind of lessons, you know? I mean, I can't give such valuable information out for free. You know, breakdowns and MMA and my podcast, all that stuff. You know, it's free. But when it comes to that, you know, my true expertise, you know, you can't. I'm just kidding, man. That's nasty. Shai Kim Shapiro. Number one, best gas tank in MMA and each UFC division. I think the best gas tank goes to Tony Ferguson. He has the most superb, amazing cardio performance. And that was against RDA. They were fighting in Mexico City at a frantic pace, five rounds, and Ferguson still wasn't tired at the end. What? Yeah, Tony Ferguson has the best cast tank I've ever seen in my life. And in each division, heavyweight maybe came Velasquez. It is hard to say because none of them really have the craziest gas tank. But looking at history, it's probably Kane. Light heavyweight, I probably say John Jones or Gustafson. They, I think they have about equal. Middleweight, I probably say Adesanya right now. 
I've seen Whitaker get tired in the fifth rounds. I've seen Romero get tired before. I've seen Jacare get tired. I've seen Rockle get tired. I mean, I've seen everybody get tired besides Adesanya. It's hard to say, though. It is hard to say because Adesanya hasn't fought the elite guys yet. Welterweight. Ooh, now we're talking about MMA's Apex Ironman triathletes over here. There's a lot of guys with good gas tanks in this division. Usman might be the guy because of his output, and you never see him gas out. Colby Covington also has a crazy gas tank, so it's one of them two. Tough to say because you haven't seen them gas out, so we don't know the limit to either of those two. And when they fight each other, then we'll probably see it. Lightweight, Tony Ferguson. Featherweight, Max Holloway. Bantamweight, Dominic Cruz. Flyweight, guess Cejudo, maybe? Women's bantamweight, probably Holly Holm. Women's flyweight, Shevchenko. There's a lot of good fighters with good gas tanks there. Women's strawweight, probably Joanna. Number two, best clinch at MMA in each division. Considering strikes and takedowns from the clinch. Best clinch? Probably John Jones? I know there's a lot of good fighters in the clinch, man. I know Anderson Silva, of course. The only reason why I don't say him is because I've seen him get dropped in the clinch by Chris Weidman. Matt Brown has an excellent clinch. Um, but when it comes to just mixing it up in there, I think John Jones. And in each division, heavyweight, it's Overeem. Light heavyweight, John Jones. Middleweight, Anderson Silva or Adesanya. Welterweight, does Matt Brown still fight? If he still fights, it's Matt Brown. If he doesn't fight anymore, I'd probably say RDA. Lightweight, Habib. I mean, Habib just doesn't strike in the clinch. That's the only problem. But you said takedowns as well, so yeah, Habib. He's so effective with that, it's insane. Featherweight, probably Zabit. Bantamweight, probably John Lineker. There aren't too many fighters that clinch in this division, are there? I don't know if Morais. I have to go back and watch if Morais clinches a lot. Flyweight, Figueroa. Or Cejudo, who has great takedowns, but Figueroa has nasty strikes in the clinch. Women's bantamweight, Jermaine Durandamy. Women's flyweight, Shevchenko, 100%. She's one of the best fighters, period, in the clinch. Strawweight, Jessica Andrade. Creative schmuck. Prime Aldo versus Habib breakdown. I've always said this would be a very hard fight for Habib. Man, does all okay, Aldo moving up to 155. Does he have that power? Does it come up with we'll say he has a little bit more power, but we'll say he's a little bit slower. He's still gonna be way faster than Habib. It's such a close fight. I probably lean to Habib smothering Aldo in the fourth and fifth rounds and probably winning by a TKO because of it. But here's how I think it goes. I think Aldo actually wins the first three rounds. And then Habib just destroys him in the fourth and fifth. As Aldo can't keep up with the pace. I think Habib shoots him from too far. Aldo has great footwork. Way too fast to catch that far away. Habib is not going to be able to catch those light kicks, I believe. I think he's a little bit too slow. And he doesn't have that style to catch the light kicks like that. Boxing, Aldo just picks him apart. That left hook is going to catch Habib at will. His jabs are just going to pop Habib every single time. They have about the same reach, too. So, I think just overall in the striking, Aldo is just way too much for Habib. His takedown defense, because of the distance work and the way Habib shoots in, it's just tough for him to get anything off on Aldo. Initially, if he's able to cling on to Aldo, that's when it gets tough. But... In the first three rounds, I think he has a hard time even getting close to Aldo with him. And then I think Aldo slows down in the fourth round and Habib finally gets him to the ground and batters him. And then Aldo comes into like the fifth round and he's just not the same fighter. And Habib just finishes it off. Takes him to the ground and just ground and pounds into a finish. And just being an absolute classic of a fight. Then we go to Danny Aura. Is Tony Ferguson the type of guy to shadow box mid-fight to prepare for his next one? He kind of does that, doesn't he? He kind of does it after fights. Like, I think when he beat RDA, he was... I don't know if he was dancing or he was, like, shadow boxing, throwing elbows and stuff. He's just getting ready for the next one. Tony Ferguson is a beast, man. It's sad to hear about what happened to him. It seems kind of like schizophrenic stuff or paranoia or something. I don't know what it is. 
CTE could play a factor. I hope it isn't. Actually, I don't think it is because Tony Ferguson was actually prescribed medication a long time ago in 2011 after he won the Ultimate Fighter that treats schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So I think it's something mentally with him that he's had for a long time. I don't think it has to do with CTE, but it's possible that CTE is triggering it this time. It's so great to see that all the fans and even fighters are getting behind Tony Ferguson because at the end of the day, yes, fighters compete against each other. They fight each other. But as human beings outside of fighting, everybody respects everybody pretty much. There's a couple that don't like each other, but this is a lot more serious, right? This stuff is a lot more serious. And yeah, I'm just glad to see that he's also getting the help he needs. He's going to a psychiatrist or something like that. And it's working, he's saying. It's, it's not bad. I just didn't know he had this kind of problem before. Because I saw him in the Ultimate Fighter. He didn't really act in this kind of way besides when he was drunk. When he was drunk, I mean, he started trying to fight with people and stuff. And you saw a really dark side of him come out. Almost cynical. Where he was just staring at the other guy and asking where his kid was at. And it looked like a start to a horror movie or something. I hope he gets better. I hope this doesn't come back to him. And I hope he comes back to fighting, which is something he loves to do, right? The biggest thing is him getting this treated now or getting past this whole thing. When he's done fighting, it potentially could get a lot worse, right? Potentially. I don't know what's causing it. I don't know what's causing this sort of thing for Tony Ferguson. Because his wife did say that he isn't always like this. It only happened after his knee surgery. But whatever it is with Tony Ferguson, I'm just glad he's getting better. Then we go to Pumpy. Matchups. Till versus Usman. That is a tough fight for Usman. It really is, actually. Because he doesn't have that kind of striking to make Till pay. But he does have the wrestling threat that can keep Till at bay. I'm going to go with Till because he does have really good takedown defense. And he's really good at getting up from the bottom. So I'll go with Till on that one. Colby versus Tyron. If Tyron is not able to react to what Usman did to him, Colby's going to do the same thing. So it's a close fight. It's a really close fight. I probably lean to Tyron because I do think he can counter Colby. Colby's a little bit more open when he's on the attack than Usman is. So I stick with Tyron. And he is stronger than Colby. Johnny Walker versus Dominic Reyes. I got Walker. I got Walker all day. Reyes' defense against Uzmir was just so eye-opening. It was shocking to see how open he was. And Walker being bigger, longer, more powerful, faster, more athletic, unorthodox, unpredictable, and extremely precise with great timing in all of his strikes. You gotta go with Walker, man. Gustafson versus Smith. You gotta go with Gustafson on this one. His striking is better than Smith's. Smith is more powerful and he has better grappling, but I don't think he can take Gus down either. Zabit versus Aldo. I got Aldo. The leg kicks are devastating. Takedown defense is too much. If it's a three-round fight, Aldo wins all day. One more question. I'm 17 right now. Recently started MMA. I'm six foot three. Is that what you're saying? About 150 pounds. I have a boxing background. Wow, you're a tall 150 pounder. I have a boxing background, but I want to start wrestling. Any tip before I start wrestling? Love your work and I appreciate you. Thank you so much, man. You want to start wrestling? Any tip before I start wrestling? It's a hard transition. It really is, man. Because I also went into boxing and wrestling was very hard for me to grasp. It uses such different muscles than striking does. It's so different. So, Go in there with a completely blank slate. Don't come in there relying on your striking. Just know that, okay, this is completely different than what I'm used to. It's a whole new world. I'm going to go into this open-minded. The mental transition is the hardest. And usually your defense is going to be a lot better than your offense when you're a striker going to grappling or wrestling. Because you are naturally good with your foot positioning and your angles and stuff like that. So your defense is going to be a lot better. Other than that, it comes to specifics. So I don't know anything really else about you. You are tall, so underhooks are always good for you. The biggins. 
What chance do you think Khabib would have moving up to challenge Usman at welterweight? Also, rank these UFC wrestlers by ability at 170. Usman, Khabib, Gillespie, and GSP. I think the chance of Khabib moving up and challenging Usman is pretty high. I mean, he has a really good chance of beating Usman. He has more weapons. He's more well-rounded. Better striker, better grappler, better technical wrestler in terms of MMA, better judo, which can counter wrestling a lot. I think he probably has more power, maybe? It's hard to say. And Habib has a great cardio. So I think he has the weapons to beat a guy like Usman. So if they fought 10 times, I would say Habib probably wins 6 times out of 10. And then rank these wrestlers at 170. I mean, Gillespie's going to be way smaller than everybody there. He's probably going to be the lowest because of the size difference. I think GSP's number 1. Number 2, so you said just wrestler. So number 2, Usman. Then 3, Habib. Then Gillespie. But takedown artist is something a little bit different. If it's takedown artist, I would put Habib above Usman. Quick one by person, person. Usman versus Covington. Prediction, I think Usman wins. I think he's more physical. He's stronger. He's bigger. Cardio to last all five rounds, which is Colby's biggest weapon with his own pressure and volume. I think Usman will get the better of the wrestling. That would probably be the, the main thing in the fight. So Usman will most likely win that fight. You've seen this picture before. Yeah, I see it. I don't even know what that picture is. His profile picture. I see that everywhere on YouTube. Do you think we slightly overestimated Woodley's takedown defense? I mean, the last super proficient wrestler he faced was Roy McDonald. That's true. It could have been that we just hadn't seen him get tested in the area in a while, except for Damian Maya, who isn't primarily a wrestler. Yeah, stopping takedowns from Maya isn't the biggest deal. And if we did underestimate his takedown defense, how do you think his chances are against Khabib now? Okay, let me look at Tyron Woodley's record. Tyron Woodley's takedown defense is good. It's not bad at all he has some really good takedown defense it probably isn't like impenetrable like everybody thought it was so when you look at all the fighters that got takedowns on him Kamar Usman got two there's nobody's ever fought that got two takedowns on him in a fight okay Roy McDonald also out wrestled him or got a takedown on him and Woodley got zero Nate Marquardt got a takedown on Woodley who isn't a wrestler at all he's more so a striker than anything he is a bigger fighter. He's a middleweight. Nathan Coy got a takedown on him. He's a decent wrestler. So looking at all of his other opponents, yeah, he hasn't fought really a wrestler at all. Darren Till's a Muay Thai striker. Damian Maia's jiu-jitsu guy, yes, he tries to go for takedowns over and over and over again, but he isn't great with takedowns. He likes to just create contact and pull guard a lot. Steven Thompson, karate fighter. Really no takedowns at all. Robbie Lawler, brawler. Yes, he's a high school wrestler, but he doesn't use it at all. Kevin Gaslam, yes, he is a wrestler, but he didn't attempt any takedowns in the fight. Zero takedowns, and he turned to more so of a boxer in MMA. Dong Hyun Kim, the fight barely lasted. He didn't go for takedowns. Yes, he's a judo fighter, but didn't go for takedowns. Roy McDonald got a takedown on him. Carlos Condon's a striker. Koscheck didn't go for takedowns. What good is your wrestling if you don't use it? You know, then there's Jake Shields, who again doesn't have the greatest takedowns. Jay Haran didn't even attempt a strike or a takedown. Nate Marquardt got a take, you know. So, yeah, maybe we overrated his takedown defense a little bit. And how would he do against Khabib now, knowing that if Usman can do that to you, Khabib can do that to you? I would say Khabib has much better striking defense than Usman. We have seen Usman get caught by Emil Mech a few times, and I think he did get stunned in that fight. Khabib, he's able to defend shots from much better strikers than Emil Mech. And much better strikers than Tyron Woodley. And much faster strikers, right? 
If you're not getting hit by faster, better, more technical strikers who are more so snipers than a guy like Woodley and a bunch of these guys at welterweight are, he's going to have a major advantage coming to welterweight against a guy like Woodley. So yeah, I think Habib would beat him. Just the size difference is the only thing Habib has to get across. But Habib did say that he lowers his weight on purpose so he doesn't have to cut that much weight anymore. If he went to 170... We're talking about a guy who can walk around like 200 pounds. So it'd be a pretty big Habib at 170. And we'll do one more for YouTube. Then we'll go to Twitter. The passionate question. B-R-Y-M-M asks, If Herb Dean hadn't stopped the fight with Ben and Robbie, what do you think would have happened? My opinion, I think Ben would have choked Robbie out. My opinion. We don't know if that would have happened. I understand Henry Gracie and Hoyer and Gracie made a breakdown, but at the end of the day, you can't predict what would happen because we've seen crazier things happen before. I mean, Ben Askren survived Robbie pummeling him, and nobody thought Ben Askren would have survived that. So anything can happen. We've seen Chicago come from the death three times in the Pat Barry fight to eventually knock out Barry. We've seen Frank Trigg nearly choke on Matt Hughes to then Hughes lifting Trigg and slamming him across the cage. We've seen Paige Van Zandt survive a tornado of submissions from Rose Namajunas for four and a half rounds. We've seen Dan Hardy turn rubber man against GSP when GSP got him in those arm bars. Crazy stuff has happened. You have to let it go because of that. I understand people are going to say, but he was out eventually. That's usually what the argument leads to. Yeah, Robbie gave a thumbs up and he was conscious. He would have eventually went out regardless, so it doesn't matter. Well, no, you can't say that because you don't know if that would have happened. It's most likely... And the most likely scenarios a lot of times do not happen in MMA. So it's hard to say what would happen. But what I think would happen is Ben choking out Robbie. And a lot of at least Ben Askren fans seem to be very much against them rematching. Now, personally, I want to see Ben Askren fight Damian Maya. That's the fight. That's the fight I wanted to see him debut in the UFC with. Not really Robbie Lawler. I didn't think I would have loved that fight so much. Robbie and Ben was so back and forth. I would really love a rematch. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that kind of fight again? Right, If you don't want to see that kind of fight again, I don't really know what to tell you. But personally, I want to see Ben fight Maya and Robbie fight, I don't know, Darren Till or something. You know, some, someone who will give him a really competitive striking bout. Let's go to Twitter questions. And this ties into the Robbie and Ben fight by Fat Doggo at UA Smatico. Did your opinion of Askren change after the Robbie Lawler fight? The only thing that really changed is uh, Askren's toughness. I didn't think he was that tough. I didn't think he had that kind of chin. Everything else I've seen before. No, not really. doesn't really change too much. Maybe I a little bit overestimated Robbie Lawler's capabilities against Ben Askren. I didn't think he would give up his back to Askren that easily. And I didn't think he would march backwards like that. Right? I thought he would be a little bit more light on his feet and stay away from the cage at all times. Black Magic at The Real Dirty Dan. <laughs> Looking at Askren versus Lawler and Askren versus Santos, does Askren have a defense hole when it comes to getting slammed? I mean, I wouldn't say that, but it seems like he is open to judo. Santos is a judo artist. And he was really throwing around Askren. Askren loves to cling on to opponents. Very similar to what Habib does. But Habib has a judo background that can allow him to stay in that space. If Askren fights a judo artist, they always have the option to get the better of him in those clinches. So that is a reason why I do think Habib would also be Askren. Habib has great judo. Of course, way better striking. Way better. I would say a better ground game as well. But I guess you would say he can get slammed a lot easier than other wrestlers. Because of his style. Ali Akbar Shah. Ali Akbar underscore Shah. Number one, 30% Usman versus 70% Big Rig. No, man. 70% Big Rig? That's a different fighter right there, man. We're talking about a guy who pretty much beat GSP big rig all day. 70% beats 30% all day. Number two, still favor GSP to beat Usman. Yeah, I, I favor him to win. 
I think Usman can wrestle with GSP. I think he could get the better of the wrestling overall. But I think GSP is so much better of a striker. And he's very good on the ground. I think GSP would probably win on points. Even if he gets taken down more than Usman is. Love your content, man. Keep it up. Thank you so much, man. Fatima Hamadi. I think that's how I pronounce it. At Blue Belt Tima. Hi, Weasel. After the Jeremy versus Zabit fight, do you think some holes in Zabit's skills were exposed? If so, does that change your mind on how he would do in the division? Thanks for all your content. Thank you so much for the question. He has some holes that I didn't know before. So I know leg kicking defense. There's a bit of a hole there. I know he doesn't have the best cardio. And he doesn't pace himself that well. In this fight, he paced himself a lot better than usual. But he kind of had to. I mean, everybody that fights Jeremy has to somewhat pace themselves besides Aldo. I mean, Aldo went after him. But Zabit also has bad exiting skills when he attacks, right? If he gets stuck or he misses a punch or something and he finds himself in the pocket or in the mid-range and the opponent is coming after him, he tends to have a hard time getting out of that space. So that's another big one that he has. And that could be problematic against guys like Holloway or even Brian Ortega or Jose Aldo, you know? Guys who can make him pay for that. But I do see some people knocking him for the Jeremy Stevens fight. People forgot about Max Holloway versus Jeremy Stevens as well. It's hard to fight Stevens sometimes, you know? Even Holloway didn't look that great. He was wrestling a lot. He wasn't trying to strike with Jeremy too much, which is something he doesn't do today. So you have to really pick your way to fight Jeremy Stevens. Thoughts on Pierce Morgan mocking Darren Till? I don't even know how that started, but Pierce Morgan can be a clown sometimes. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to give it a like. Make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you're listening to the audio version of this, this is going to be up on iTunes and SoundCloud later today. And again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next video.